AI has a people problem. There's not enough data talent to fill the roles technology is creating. QuantHub helps companies develop their key differentiator, their people. We enable organizations to deliver on the power of AI by providing tools to hire and upskill a high-performing workforce. Future-proofing your workforce means leaving behind the old ways of hiring and training. See QuantHub's powerful platform to assess and develop your AI talent today by visiting get.quanthub.com forward slash beards or click the link in our show notes. You're listening to The Big Data Beard. Hi, everybody. This is Corey Minton with another episode of The Big Data Beard. I'm joined by my co-host today, Kyle Prenz. And today we wanted to, uh, to have a conversation about something sort of interesting, which is technology adoption in the federal government. And candidly, as many of us look at technology uh, adoption in, in the government, it's, it's a bit paradoxical in that some of the greatest technology innovations uh, of all time have come from federal agencies, yet so many seem inefficient and slow to adopt modern technology as, uh, based on our experiences. But when organizations in the federal government adopt technology and drive technology forward, they stand to have one of the most massive macro influences on society and human progress, as we can imagine. And that's really why we wanted to get an update from our friends at Government Acquisitions, better known as GAI, on what's going on with the state of AI and big data in the U.S. federal government. So for that, I wanted to uh, introduce our guests today. We have uh, Jay and Prim. Jay, why don't you start us off and give us a quick introduction? Yeah, hi. Uh, so thanks. Really glad to be here. Um so again, my name's Jay Lamke. I'm the president of Government Acquisitions. We like to call ourselves GAI. And we are a, um, a federal-only solution provider. We've been in business for 32 years. And in those 32 years, we have done nothing but focus on uh, solving uh, the, our customers' largest challenges, so exclusive to the federal government. Very cool. Prim, how about you? Sure. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Prem Jadwani. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at GAI. And in my role, I get to uh, work with the customers, understanding technology problems, mission problems, and be able to bring uh, real-world solutions using some of the best strategic partners we work with. And I truly enjoy uh, bringing technology to the solutions and, and solutions to the market. And AI is a pretty interesting topic on uh, very excited and the potential about it. Absolutely. Well, let's start off with, uh, you know, at a high level. I'm, I'm curious from your perspectives, clearly, so, you know, you've had a lot of experience with, uh, with government agencies. What would you say is kind of the general macro state of, of AI adoption in the U.S. federal government and their agencies? So I would, uh, broad brushstrokes, I would characterize... Um, is there is a real high commitment from the top down. There's a, um, from the president on down, there is a high commitment to ensuring um, and reinforcing the importance of, of how critical it is for the U.S. federal government to lead in AI. Um, AI represents probably our next technical revolution. Um and as you know, through history, when there's a large technical revolution, it tends to uh, have the ability to really upset the balance of power in the world. Um, and so 
the U.S. federal government has a, a high commitment to what I call using AI for good. Um, China and other um, not-so-friendly nations are spending an awful lot of time and energy trying to ensure, and, and money, trying to ensure that they lead the way in AI. Uh, the federal government is is aggressively trying to make sure that we maintain our lead in, in this really critical technological shift. Absolutely. Prem, for your perspective, uh, as a CTO, I'm sure you're working with a lot of the innovators uh, in the federal government. W- what's your What's your take on the state of AI today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, uh, in, I have a favorite saying that data is the new oil. You know, with the uh, federal government, they are collecting data at an unprecedented rate. And one of the things that drives AI is good quality data. So with so much data out there and a lot of mission outcomes that can be positively influenced, I think AI is, is absolutely um, already taken off. But I see that with the power of new technology, uh, innovations coming from companies like Dell, NVIDIA, uh, and many other of uh, strategic partners we work with, uh, the AI is now being taken very seriously and uh, very excited to work with the federal government and helping them with uh, uh, how AI can influence the missions. Absolutely. Yeah, well, trying to drive mission outcomes is, is clearly key. Uh, but it's it's a lot of talk and it's a lot of rhetoric, which I know happens in politics from time to time. But it becomes real when when legislation actually gets behind and gets focused on driving adoption. I'm curious, you know, maybe Jay, from your perspective, what are some of the the legislative landscape that's happening as you know as a as a directive and a mission like what you outlined to be using this kind of technology for good, you you know, to lead the way as a global force for good. How is legislation being enacted and what, what interesting things are happening in that area to actually make this a real uh, supportable statement? Yeah, great question. So um, I, I think the first key thing is uh, in 2019, um, the White House issued the president's executive order on maintaining American leadership in AI. And that really set the framework and, and underscored the urgency of driving uh, AI adoption in the federal government. So um, it calls for a number of things, but I'll, I'll try to highlight a few of them. So one, it calls for what they call, uh, it promotes the sustained investment in AI R&D. Uh, two, it reduces the barriers to the use of AI technologies. It trains, calls for the training of the next generation of American AI researchers and users. And it also calls for developing for each agency to develop and implement an action plan around AI. And it actually had a deadline by which they needed to submit their action plan. And so that's really key. It also calls for the R&D side of each agency to consider AI as as a strategic priority and to allocate funding accordingly. And so also calls for heavy collaboration with non-government entities like academia, nonprofits, and corporations. And so what we've seen as a result of that, and in, in there's, I'll talk in a second about some of the um, agencies or departments that have been stood up to enable that, but we're seeing government reach out and collaborate with uh, industry and with researchers, uh, um, research 
um, universities like never before. And I think that's great. So um, they, they also established the chief data officer role. So every agency is now in the process of, uh, of appointing a chief data officer. Many already have those roles in place. Um, so then there was a couple of key things on the DOD side. So by the way, when we look across adoption right now, I think Prem and I would both agree that DOD and the intelligence community are way ahead of most of the civilian agencies in terms of actual um, adoption of AI. So DOD established two key entities, right? One is called the Jake, which is the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. And the other is the Defense Innovation Unit, or what we call the DIU, used to be called the DIUX. So the, they have totally different roles, but are very complementary. So the Jake's role is to really work on transforming the DOD by accelerating the delivery and adoption of AI to achieve mission impact at scale. So their goal is to solve, um, to use AI to solve large, complex problems that span multiple services and then ensure the services and components have real-time access to ever-improving libraries and data sets of tools. The DIU, on the other hand, is really focused exclusively on fielding and scaling technology across the military to help solve critical problems. And so where they are tasked, the DIU is much more tasked with working with industry um, and academia to make that happen. So both of these things are, are really key. Um, both of these entities are really key to the uh, implementation of AI. There's one other thing I wanted to say, and that is um, <clears throat> we've seen one of the things that the the current administration has recognized is that the old contracting methods are too slow to be able to bring out a technology and adopt and implement a technology that's evolving so rapidly. And so <clears throat> in the traditional contracting uh, methods, you know, frequently it takes 12 to 18, sometimes more uh, months for a, to go from concept to actually contracting that. Um, and there's protests and so forth. So they have um, reinvigorated a, a process that was, uh, I believe, um, originally brought about in uh, World War II called the OTA or Other Than Transactional Authority. And um, this allows the customers to issue small, innovative awards to companies with great technology, right? So when they see something, they can then go out and do an OTA, contract for it on a very small scale and say, let's try this and implement and see if we can um, actually get this to operate at scale. And then when it does start to go at scale, they can go back to kind of traditional contracting methods. So an OTA is like, uh, in in commercial terms, we, we would call it a, a proof of concept, right? You get a, 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 a division or a group that has a small budget that, you know, they can pull the trigger on, you know, not gigantic projects, but small projects to prove value. If you prove the value, then it's much easier to go uh, justify the funding. Is that is that an accurate assessment? Uh, very well said. Excellent. That, well, see, that makes me feel better that, that we're actually uh, legislating the government to be run uh, in, in a way that is a pretty efficient business process. Because, I mean, that's one thing that's, ha that's happened over the years. We've gotten away from these, you know, think, uh, you know, ERP projects of, you know, 15, 20 years ago that were multi-year, multi, you know, tens of millions of dollars and moved to this 
rapid, agile sort of process for deploying applications. I, that that gives me some hope. I'm curious when you talk about the the Jake and uh, the DIU, you you talked about one of their goals is really to uh, help adopt uh, these technologies, innovative technologies at scale. When we think about the government scale, what are some of the challenges that you see in that scaling function of actually getting these technologies to be used on mass? Um, I'm sure Prem will have some thoughts as well. I, I would say, you know, the one of the government's challenges in general is the sheer scale of the organizations, right? And so, um, if I'm if I want to um, adopt, if I want to do a better job at um, helping my analysts view drone data, as an example, drone feeds. And understand and, and look at. So I want to be able to go out and, and help use AI to help, um, understand what's happening. I've got to be able to do that across an incredible scale of multiple types of, uh, platforms and, uh, across multiple entities within DOD, right? Or within the intelligence community. So just the sheer scale, I think causes, um, a, a lot of challenges with them being able to, to adopt any technology that's not limited to AI. Yep. And if I can add uh, to what Jay just mentioned, uh, basically what I am seeing is big challenges, basic that there is a lot of data, as I said, that agencies are collecting, but many, most of this data is siloed. It is fragmented. So what really gets me excited at this point is Agencies are starting to embrace data as a strategic asset. In fact, the federal data strategy, if you look at the requirements, it is requiring agencies to inventory and prioritize their data. And as part of that, they have established uh, chief data officers, right? I mean, so this is a great start. You have to have a proper collection of data and it has to be good quality data for you to be able to scale. And other thing that I notice is many agencies think artificial intelligence as a plug and play technology it is not a plug and play it's not something you can see results instantly i mean it takes a, it's like a journey you know how cloud computing started 10 15 years ago and everybody thought it was a hype but today we are seeing some excellent benefits that cloud is bringing to the missions and uh, ai is i I call it like a journey. It's a roadmap, right? You don't get instant results, but you have to start small and you have to have a strategy. So that's what is happening, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible what we're seeing out of the DOD and, and Jake with what you've mentioned and how they're leading with adoption. I, I imagine in references to data quality that security has to play a role into this as well. Can you chat a bit around the challenges of providing data to machine learning while still uh, having to secure it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I can touch upon that and I'm sure Jay can add more uh, color to it. So from a security perspective, uh, there is clearly a big privacy, governance, fairness, ethics, transparency. I mean, these things come up all the time. Again, I'll equate it to cloud. Everybody loves moving to cloud, but people are always worried if it's a shared infrastructure what happens to my security in a multi-tenant environment? So with AI, as you're trying to bring all this data together, uh, what are the parameters that should be in place to make sure that data privacy is maintained, whether the data is at rest, in motion, or in use? 
and unfortunately that's where we are still behind i don't see standards out there like with cloud we have FedRAMP, uh, we have fisma we have all these things right but with ai this is where nist is actually stepping up and i've been part of the working group at where they are trying to establish uh, standards around security privacy governance and then of course once you solve that then the question becomes how do i know my outcome from ai is fair and unbiased now remember most of these machines are being trained by humans and humans bring a ton of bias so making sure that during the training of the models after the training of the models and before the training of the models you are continuously ensuring that the bias is not creeping into the uh, into the uh, uh, learning models right and that is something the humans have to get involved and in. there has to be a ton of policing uh, before we end up with outcomes that we regret about yeah i'm curious the so it's it's one thing to uh you know talk about the fact that we want to make these things you know these algorithms fair uh transparent and ethical but but more practically like how how does that manifest itself like you talked about a little bit about nist um stepping up with standards and i always i, I always like the analogy where it's like you know, for somebody flying a plane uh, and for autopilot functions, we have a pretty clearly defined set of parameters, tools, processes to validate uh, that, that that works. Is that the level of sort of uh, legislation that we're going to have that not only finds its way into measuring the fairness, you know, unbiasedness, right? The, the removal of bias, the ethical outcomes that not only exist in the AI algorithms that we deploy in government, but do you see those standards from like a body like NIST, as you mentioned, do you see those finding their way into the, you know, the private sector as well? Yeah, I mean, for uh, what I'm seeing is very encouraging. We have a long way to go, but based on the working groups that I am involved in, uh, I'm very encouraged to see that NIST is not just involving the government agencies, but there is an extremely strong collaboration between private sector and academia, right? And that is exactly what we need because there are a ton of best practices coming out of companies like Facebook and Google and LinkedIn. And these companies are uh, adopting AI in a, in a massive way and they are learning some early lessons. So I have been very fortunate to be a part of that, those groups where um, I hear some best practices and some mistakes that have been made that should be fixed so absolutely i would say all the collaboration that needs to happen has started but is there room for more absolutely i mean there is a lot of things that need to happen here because what ai is doing is unprecedented i mean it is not like any other technology we have seen before because um, there could be uh, uh, outcomes that if we don't uh, take care of in the start of the process, we may have to regret later. So it is always a very, very careful process that has to be followed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you talked about that they you're working with, you know, or the, the NIST is working with universities, also, you know, obviously companies in the private sector. So much of the work uh, and the underlying technology that ends up, um, you know, becoming in vogue in AI, and we know that, you know, the tools and technologies and algorithms in AI are massively ephemeral, right, changing constantly. But the way that they show up and they get consumed in the market so often is as open source software. And I'm curious from a, from a government perspective, are you seeing government agencies able to participate in that open source 
uh, arena or does open source represent uh, more challenge in terms of security, uh, intellectual property that the government just generally tries to avoid? I mean, I'll give you my opinion. So I have seen open source to be a, a double-edged sword, right? Sometimes the open source is good because it brings the world to help innovate, right? It's not restricted to a company. Like a great example is Linux. Linux started out as open source and today we know it is one of the top tier, most robust, solid operating system that powers the most mission critical applications. And uh, there are uh, other examples like, you know, uh, Hadoop and uh, Apache Spark, and there is so much great innovation. So to answer your question, yes, government is starting to adopt open source, and there is definitely a big interest from the government side rather than having to recreate the entire software. But what they have to do is they have to be very careful with open source uh, since the code is open, there could be vulnerabilities, there could be all kinds of security risks. So uh, I see that it's a careful adoption, uh, but there are commercial products that are taking open source and making it very secure, right? So companies like Cloudera, who did that for Hadoop, uh, we have Databricks that did that for Apache Spark, and then we have Red Hat that has done it for Linux. So those kind of uh, distributions of open source are what really become fit to be adopted within the government agencies. Absolutely. Now, we've talked a bit about, you know, kind of the macros of, you know, the legislative uh, and the presidential directives that are driving adoption, some of the scaling functions, the ways that we're, you know, allowing organizations within the federal government to work externally with the private sector, with academia, and really changing the model, right? I love the the innovation towards uh, acting more like, you know, these lightweight POC type projects gives me a lot of hope. But from your perspective, I, I, you know, you guys work with a lot of a variety of government agencies. I'm curious what you all are seeing, like in actual real life implementations of AI and ML being deployed in the government that gives you excitement and hope that we are going to be able to deliver on that mission of being leaders and using AI for good. Yeah, so um, so I, I'll give you a couple examples. I'm sure Prem can as well. Um, there, there's a lot that we see, and they're in various stages of maturity, right? So, you know, if you think about what AI is really good at at its core, it's really good at reviewing and ingesting massive amounts of data at extremely high speed, and then finding trends or pattern and identifying certain things that humans uh, would never be able to see, right? And, and if you think about that AI never sleeps, it never takes time off, it doesn't get distracted or take phone calls or go to the bathroom, it's it's on 24-7. And so we're seeing it in, in broad areas like cybersecurity and fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, we're seeing it in um, video analytics. <clears throat> I, d I touched on that a little bit. Uh, before, but you know, think about the amount of data that comes through in in a video that um, you would have a human monitoring mm -hmm. um, and looking out for certain patterns or behaviors or objects and so forth. And so, um, we're seeing a lot happening in that space. Uh, we're working with a company right now that has a platform that developed or that excuse me that um, identifies as an example weapons. Um, and so think about outside the perimeter of a school. So this is uh, a state and local example, but it's, it's the same thing applies in federal is <clears throat> think about someone approaching a school 
uh, with a weapon with bad intentions, um, seconds matter, right? And so the, the external cameras being able to identify a weapon, um, in the hands of somebody of any type before it gets in or up to the school and identify immediately the, the resource officers and the security guards, um, that saves lives very, very quickly, right? So, so we're seeing those types of things. Um, the Postal Service is doing some amazing things with AI. They have some key projects underway um, that are all around kind of fleet management and streamlining delivery and so forth. Um, so there's some very cool things we see happening there. DOT, kind of across DOT, um, are looking at how they leverage AI to solve all kinds of challenges related to highways and, and space. So Think about the impact that autonomous vehicles and massive numbers of drones and doing package delivery um, are and, and surveillance are going to have on the on both the roads and in the airspace. And so the um, <clears throat> so they're leveraging working on a number of projects to leverage AI to help in that way. Um, so we're seeing examples of where drones are equipped with particular sensors that are doing the maintenance of um, or, or um, viewing and doing uh, visual maintenance of radio towers, of railroads, of pipelines, and so forth. So those are real examples um, that, you know, we see every single day. Right. And to add to Jay's uh, list of some excellent use cases he mentioned, I would say, Another area that I see a lot of adoption of AI is within cybersecurity. You know, this is a real problem. Every day, every week, we see some unprecedented breaches uh, and government is no exception. In fact, they are the biggest target, whether it's nation state attacks, ransomware, advanced persistent threats. I mean, these are not going away. These are going to get worse. So clearly, humans are not built or designed to deal with millions and billions of events coming in through zipper networks, nipper networks, um, and all these agencies. So they are collecting insane amount of data. But how do you make sense of this data? So most of the places or companies and agencies have been reactive up till now. You know, they like, oh, we found something was uh, some attackers were inside our network and we found out after three months or six months. Uh, talk about any of the uh, big attacks, right? So with AI, that changes the landscape. Because now, instead of being reactive, you get to become pre proactive and predictive. It's all about predictive analytics, right? So we work with some of the top strategic um, firms like, you know, CrowdStrikes of the world and Sentinel One. And these are innovating uh, by using AI in, the, in, the, in their software where it is able to identify attacks before they happen. So it's really a game changer. Interesting. Well, one of the things you mentioned uh, in both of those threads that both Jay and Prem you talked about is this idea that actually follows a uh, a quote that I really like from Andrew Ning, who uh, you know one of the kind of the leading innovators in the AI and machine learning space, uh, Stanford and Coursera course designer. Um, but he he was actually the chief brain at Google. He said in, in the in the short term, you know, we shouldn't think of AI as Skynet, which is, you know, from Terminator, the, the AI that goes on to kill the human race. We Everybody's should think of it as automation. Fear, right? <laughs> right, scary as all get out, but it's not what we should think about it. It's that we should think about AI in the near term as automation on steroids. And I think what you guys both just had laid out was that uh, AI has the potential to um, hyper-automate 
many functions that are no longer human scale. Do you think that's an accurate assessment? Is that like, is that a macro kind of way to think about where AI is going to fit in the federal government? Absolutely. And so, um, so uh, Gartner has um, calls one of the next biggest trends. Uh, Gartner's term for it is hyper automation. I think Forrester has a different term and so forth. But it's this marrying up of um, process mining and process improvement with robotic process automation and AI to constantly to look at business processes from the top all the way through in, in not just the kind of lines and boxes on a page that say this is what the process is, but what are the shadow processes and how do people actually interact and the ability to monitor those processes and make uh, improvements to that, right? So that's one of the promises of, of hyper automation. And, and that's an area we are investing along with AI, um, and our RPA partners. We're investing heavy in, in that part of the marketplace because we see just tremendous benefits coming from that. So I'll give you an example, um, real time example. In fact, we have a, we have a session with these guys coming up, but we have a, we have a partner who, um, can do high-speed um, code refactoring, right? So they have the ability to ingest any code. And if you think about the amount of um, COBOL and Fortran and old code out there, and you think about the age, you look at the average age of a, of a programmer in the federal government um, is uh, the COBOL programmers, excuse me, or I think it's something like 58 years old. So you have all these legacy systems that need, that have security vulnerabilities and, and are, and are um, developed to run on old systems but are frequently run in some of the agency's most mission critical applications. Those need to be refactored, rehosted um, into modern applications. And so um, the tool ingests the code and understands the intent of that code. So it doesn't need to understand each aspect of the line of code. It understands the intent of that. And then it refactors it into any other modern language. So any to any. And it does it in a fraction of the time with a much higher degree of accuracy than, than human beings could do it. And so it can go from four, uh, excuse me, from COBOL, let's say into Java. And we can, they can do millions of lines of code in a matter of days and weeks and not months and years. So the, the process, so the costs go way down, speed goes way up, accuracy goes way up. And that's, those are, that is, real-time leveraging of, of AI that's happening right now. Right. And I, if I can add to that, I mean, I have been uh, on this side of the house, but like early on in my career, I was a software developer and I know how painful it is to sit and do line-by-line -line, uh, conversion of uh, legacy code to the new code. So when I first heard about it, I could not believe this. Like I have never heard of something that can use AI and translate like millions of lines of code at a fraction of a cost and three times faster and at 50% less cost and it was like this cannot be true until I saw it and I heard about it and I see customers are using it I mean that immediately made me a believer like yes there are real problems that can be solved so um, I mean this is exactly where many of the agencies we work with whether you talk about social security administration IRS I mean they have code that was written way back in the 
50s and 60s and that's not just 1 million or 2 million lines of code you're talking 50 million 80 million 100 million lines of code so uh, when you think about the impact it's massive yeah it it's absolutely a monstrous lift um it, it seems <laughs> like quite a quite a problem right now i, I a question I would ask too is is if you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to government agencies on on trends in AI AI to watch most closely? So I'll um <clears throat> a great question and and one of the things we spend a lot of our time doing is educating uh, the the federal government customer, right? So Prem and I and and our uh, VP of Technical Services developed a course. That is um, a workshop that's really targeted at the line of business owners in the federal government that walks them through um, kind of AI from start to finish, right? So how do you identify a project? How do you clean your data? How do you um, get buy-in? How do you budget for it? How do you understand how to measure and, and um, uh, understand the true outputs of those projects and so forth? And so we walk them kind of cradle to grave through um, how to implement a, a project. Um, at the same time, we try to bring those agencies real-world examples um, of companies that are doing innovation specific to their um, needs, right? And so um, that that's one of the the things we see a look. There's a every the, the good news is there's a top down mandate to make this happen. Uh, the the bad news is that there's a real there's still a lack of understanding of how to make that happen, but there's a huge desire to do so. So uh, that creates a, a need for uh, folks like us to come in and, and just really work with them to educate them on and be kind of a coach and guide on the journey, if you will. Right. And and to add to Jay's point, I mean, I've definitely once the education has been done and the agencies understand the art of the possible, the next question, of course, comes up is how do I put this uh, uh, into action? Right. So where do I start? So I would recommend uh, and I do recommend to all my customers like, hey, you need to start small, find the small use case. And let us help you with a proof of concept. To that effect, what GAI has done is in collaboration with Dell, NVIDIA, and some of our partners, we have put together the state-of-the-art uh, uh, engineering lab where we invested and put together an entire solution stack with uh, high-powered uh, servers, compute, storage, GPUs. Uh, and it's not just in individual technology. We at GAI uh, truly believe in building solutions. So that is what I really am passionate about is when we go talk to the customers, we are not giving them parts and just say, hey, here's the server. Good luck. Uh, what the agencies really need is somewhere they can put some kind of uh, their either their lab data or synthetic data and kick the tires, as they say, and say, hey, let me really see if I see the ROI on what is happening. And then once they get to see the, the actual results or the outcomes, and then the next question becomes is how do I now take this into my agency and scale? And that's a different challenge where we start putting architects and engineers and uh, best of best brains to work uh, to help the agency scale. But having an engineering lab is very important. 
Uh, l- let me let me just add one thing onto that. So we, we've in our uh, workshops we've created Prem's created um, two artifacts that we find customers um, really ask for a lot and and benefit from. The first is our six steps to an AI optimized agency, right? So it outlines kind of the the journey as prem describes and the the second thing is the seven layers of the ai stack right and so it really walks them and and articulates the the various layers and the needs uh, throughout the ai stack so we find those requested um out of our workshops a lot and last year we trained i think we uh conducted uh, workshops for over 700 uh, we did 50 workshops for over 700 people so, um, wow. so that's hopefully resonating and, and is helping people, uh, in government who are tasked with this understand, you know, how to implement projects effectively. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, honestly, it's been a delight to hear that one, that the government agencies, uh, that, and the federal government is moving towards, uh, this rapid adoption of AI, uh, AI being, driving hyper automation in the agencies to uh, solve, you know, non-human scale problems that we're going to have to solve if the U.S. is going to lead uh, the world in adoption of AI for good. And it's amazing to hear how, you know, if organizations have the ability to uh, try out technologies in that POC-like way to prove value that organizations like GAI exist, and you've built those labs and the guidance and the workshops to help support uh, their steps towards meeting the mission objectives. So, gentlemen, it has been a pleasure to talk with you about uh, the state of AI in the federal government and to hear the amazing value that GAI can deliver to our government agencies. But before I let you go, I want to uh, have a little bit of fun. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. Jay, I'm curious, what has been the most productive thing you've done during the uh, shelter-in-place uh, orders around COVID? Oh boy, I uh, most productive thing I have. Um, I've learned to organize my days in um, in a way that is incredibly more efficient than it was when you're going front through airports and airplanes and um, and hotels and meetings and doing laps around the beltway and those types of things. So I would just say that um, the the ability to organize my day for maximum efficiency. Awesome. Prim, how about you? What's been the most productive thing you've done? Yeah. So for me, I mean, it has been very, very uh, productive in a way that, you know, I used to spend a lot of time on the planes and trying to see customers in person and do workshops. And then this was a total different perspective because now there was no flying because of COVID. So I got very efficient at delivering the same workshop, same messaging uh, and uh, all the things that I do with customers online, and it has uh, it has been a very exciting journey to be able to do that. Sometimes it's very challenging, but it was uh, a great learning experience for me. Absolutely. Well, Prem, I'm curious from your perspective, what is a great book that you would recommend uh, our listeners check out? Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm a big uh, voracious reader of. Uh, I I collect a lot of books. I read them, but I would say. Uh, if you were to ask me my top one or two picks, there is actually a book on AI. It's called Life 3.0, Being Human in the Age of Artificial Intelligence. It's written by Mark, Max Tegmark. 
And what he does, why I found that exciting is because in this he describes like the life 1.0 as being the biological, the bacteria, the virus uh, that does not have any power. It is basically everything is coded in the DNA. Life 2.0 is the cultural, which is humans, uh, that we can change our software, which is basically we can learn languages and skills, but we cannot change our body and physical structure. And life 3.0, what he's describing is the te technological being which is not existing today but these are the uh, the humanoids or the cyborgs that will be created by artificial intelligence and why i found this fascinating is it's very very scary sometimes like oh you have a person who's complete like it goes back to that uh, arnold schwarzenegger terminator <laughs> movie right a real machine you're, you're freaking me out Bram. <laughs> when you say cyber cyborgs i get uh, i get all kinds of uh, terrible all right, don't read it before bed. Jay, how about you? What book would you recommend? Uh, hands Down um, is, a, is a book called uh, AI in the New World Order. It's by a, a gentleman by the name of Kai-Fu Lee, who's uh, one of the premier uh, venture capitalists that really understands this space. Awesome. Okay. So, Jay, are there any shows that you've been binging on lately? Oh, God, I'm right in the uh, – I just finished uh, season three of um, – Yellowstone. Oh, good choice. Prim, how about you? Yeah, I like the Shark Tank show. That's my favorite. I always <laughs> get uh, very excited when I see some new ideas. Absolutely. All right. So where, uh, Prim, are you going when we can travel freely again? What's the first place you're going? I want to go see Europe. I haven't been there. I've heard like Germany, Austria, all those. But once COVID gets uh, away, then I'm definitely looking to go outside the United States. Good for you. Jay, how about you? Where are you traveling? Well, um, I'm going to go back to the two places that we had on the on the books this year to go to. My wife and I always take one to two large trips a year. Um, and they were both canceled this year. The first one was to, uh, to Peru, Machu Picchu and to, uh, and to tour the Amazon. And the second one was we were bringing the whole family to Egypt. And so, um, oh. I'm going to get those back on the books as soon as we can. Awesome. Now, gentlemen, where can our audience find you on social media? What's the best place to keep up with you two? Uh, so our, the company website is www.gov-acq.com. And, uh, and we try to uh, branch everything we do off of there. I'd say that's the, the best place. Absolutely. Awesome. And you can find us on LinkedIn also. Well, Jay and Prim, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you join us today to talk about the state of AI. And I encourage any of those government agencies listening, if you have a chance to try out technology to rapidly adopt AI, consider GAI a great partner in your journey. Thanks for listening to the Big Data Beard podcast. The music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. Check him out on iTunes or Spotify.